0: Well, good morning, church. Good Good to see everybody here today. We're in um, Matthew chapter 15 this morning, and we're going to begin in verse uh, 21 and read through the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 15, verses 21 through 39. And the title of the message today is Loving Those Far Away. Uh, Loving Those Far Away. Matthew 15, 21 through 39. And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. He answered, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up to the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I'm unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? And Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish And having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were four thousand men besides women and children. And after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading and the proclamation of his word. In 1958, David Wilkerson was pastor of a couple of rural churches in Scottsdale and Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. He saw a picture in Life magazine of some gang members from a gang known as the Egyptian Dragons, and they were on trial for murder in New York City. When David saw this picture, he began to sense and believe that God was drawing him to New York City to preach the gospel to get to these gang members. And so David drove from Pennsylvania to New York City. He entered the courtroom while the trial was taking place. And he asked the judge for permission to speak to the gang members about their salvation. The judge ejected him from the courtroom where a photographer from a, from a newspaper in New York City took his picture. And, uh, and it was in the paper. And he became known as the Bible preacher who had interrupted the Grang trial. Well David began to go to these gang members, these outcasts, and he started a street ministry to these drug addicts and gang members, which continued for many, many years into the 60s. An infamous gang leader named Nikki Cruz uh, was converted, and if you've ever seen the movie or read the book The Cross and the Switchblade, it's about David Wilkerson witnessing to these gang and these gang members. In 1958, David Wilkerson founded uh, Teen Challenge, an evangelical Christian recovery program. Uh, Teen Challenge today has a network of Christian, uh, 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 of Christian social and evangelizing work centers that operate in cities around the world, helping people through the power of Jesus to re- to recover from their addiction. In fact, there's a there's a there's a card out on the bulletin board. Uh, If you know someone that needs uh, help from recovery addiction, it's a Christ-centered recovery program. And their fees are not like the fees of many other groups anyway. So David Wilkerson did that. But that was not the only time David Wilkerson ventured into the world of the outcast who needed the gospel. During the 70s and 80s, David kind of had an evangelistic uh, country-wide ministry that was headquartered in Texas. But he was back in New York City in 1986, and he was in Times Square. And at that time, it was one of the uh, the most notorious neighborhoods in New York City. And he was walking around the streets. And uh, it was the summer of 1986, David said, right after basketball star Lynn Bias had died. He said, I was walking down 42nd Street, and people were selling drugs, and they were saying... I've got the stuff that killed Lynn Bias. He said, it broke me down. Things had reached such a low, and I felt I had to do something. Well, David again sensed God leading him back to New York City to do something. And so he went back there, and he started Times Square Church. The church began meeting in a rented auditorium in Times Square. Uh, They met in rented auditoriums, and then they began to meet in the historic mall. Mark Hellinger Theater in 1989. They rented that theater for a couple years. And in 1991, they reportedly bought that historic theater for $15 million. 2011, David Wilkerson was killed in a car wreck. And he had, he had just not long before retired from uh, the ministry of Times Square Church. But David Wilkerson spent much of his life sharing the gospel to those who seemed the furthest Away, To souls who seemed the furthest from Jesus. And even though they seemed to be far away, many of them had lives changed by the power of Jesus. Now in Matthew, un- until Matthew 15, we kind of see Jesus preaching, teaching, and healing, basically to Israel and to the Jewish nations who have been closest to the kingdom of God. But we've also seen the reaction to Jesus was be becoming more and more negative, more and more critical, and more and more hostile. Uh, among those who were the religious leaders and those who claimed spiritual leadership of the nation, it was becoming in- increasingly hostile. Jesus, Jesus had challenged some of their ideas uh, and, uh, and their wrong assumptions about what it, what it meant to worship and love God. He had challenged them how they wrongly kept the Sabbath again and again in the first part of Matthew 15 last week he directly challenged their view that they became defiled by what came out of their bodies instead what what went into their bodies instead of understanding we are defiled by the wickedness that comes from within us and we all need hearts and minds. Uh, that are changed, and Jesus was teaching, we all need a change of heart and mind by the Holy Spirit. A change that comes not uh, from the inside out, from the Holy Spirit coming in and changing us from the inside out. Matthew 15 shows Jesus going now, in chapter 15, from a predominantly Jewish territory area, to areas which are predominantly Gentile. Now, to the Jewish mind, there were two kinds of people. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. That was it. If you weren't a Jew, you were a Gentile. And so they thought they were the chosen. In that time, many of them thought they were the only chosen. And, uh, and the Gentiles were not chosen. But now in chapter 15, Jesus enters Gentile territory. Jesus delivers from demons. He teaches and heals. He feeds a large Gentile population. Just as he had done for a large Jewish population. Matthew's showing Jesus moving to those who are far away. That Jesus was not only the Savior of the Jews, but He was the Savior of the world, of of the entire world. From this portion of Matthew's Gospel, we see this eternal truth. There we go. Jesus shows himself to be the Savior of even those who may seem far away. (coughs) Jesus shows himself to be the Savior of even those who may seem far away. Jesus came to be the Savior of the world. For God so loved the world, the Scripture says, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Um, Jesus, John, 1 John says, is atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. Uh, Ephesians talks about, He himself is our peace. He has made the two one, Jew and Gentile, and it has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulation. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of two, thus making peace... And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. Jesus came and preached peace to you who are far away, and peace to those who are near. You see, Jesus came to be the Savior of even those who seem far away from God. I want you to see this from Matthew 15 this morning. Jesus provides life and deliverance to those whose background seems most hostile. Jesus provides life and deliverance to those whose background seems most hostile, seem most hostile. He left Gennesaret, we read about. He was in Gennesaret in chapter 15 in the early part of the chapter, and he went far north into Tyre and Sidon. He went into a territory today that's part of Lebanon and Syria uh these were far away especially in that day when you know uh people didn't travel that much they were far away i think uh tyre was about 35 miles and sidon was about 60 miles jesus went to this territory and uh, he left the territory where mostly jewish people live and went into a territory where mostly gentile people live jesus uh Jesus went into Tyre and Sidon. And if you read the Old Testament about Tyre and Sidon, they have very negative reputations. They were places for the most of their history that seemed very, very far from God. Jesus went there to get away uh, from his disciples, but he also went there to begin to show his disciples that his mission was more than just to, to the Jewish nation. Uh But he went went there to get away, even though it was far away from Israel, there were those who had heard about Jesus. The scripture says a Canaanite woman, and it uses that term, Matthew uses that term Canaanite. Now you you think about the word Canaanite from Exodus and Leviticus and those chapters. The Canaanites were idol-worshiping, child-sacrificing people that ...were to be destroyed, and Israel was to, uh, to occupy the land. They, they were uh, the height of wickedness, uh, according to the Old Testament, the Canaanites were. Those were her ancestors, Ida worshipping, child-sacrificing ancestors... And this woman was a Canaanite. And so the scripture says she began following Jesus and his disciples around. And she would cry out, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Have mercy on me. My my daughter is just controlled. There's an intensity about her saying severely oppressed that is translated in the ESV. My daughter is badly demonized. And she didn't just say this once. She followed them around wherever they went. She kept saying it repeatedly. She kept crying out to the point where the disciples... <clears throat> uh, the disciples wanted Jesus to do something just to get this woman off their backs. It says they begged Jesus. They begged Jesus, do something. Uh, and, and I think the, the uh, implication is, uh, do what she asks you to do, Lord... Because this woman is driving us crazy. Well, Jesus said to his disciples, uh, I've come, I've I've come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I've come to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So she Jesus did not immediately respond to her. He let her keep crying out to the point where she begged the, the disciples begged him to do something about it. Um, And Jesus said, I've come only to the lost sheep of Israel. That's what he told his disciples when they asked him to do something about it. Other people might get discouraged and leave. They might think, well, you know, I've done all I can. I can't do anything else. But not this woman. She was not going to let this opportunity pass her by. The one opportunity she had for her daughter to be delivered. And so she came up to Jesus. She knelt before him. And she said, Lord help me, Lord help me and then Jesus said to her when she knelt before him it's not right to take the children's bag, bread and throw it to the dogs now think about this first Jesus didn't answer her for the longest time to the point where the disciples were going crazy because this woman was bothering so much secondly when he did answer her when she personally comes and speaks to her he calls her he basically calls her a dog which is a derogative term which the Jewish people use for Gentiles what's going on here this doesn't seem like Jesus does it, it doesn't, he's not responded this way to anyone else that we've read about in the scripture was he being insensitive to her no, Jesus was not being insensitive to her. In fact, he was, he was helping grow her faith and helping her disi- his disciples see what he was about to do and help them to understand that his, that his, that his ministry ultimately would be to the entire world. Uh, Jesus was not being insensitive to her. He was helping to grow her faith. Do you realize this? When the Lord doesn't answer your prayers, when the Lord hesitates when you pray to Him and you think you have a desperate need, do you realize He's growing your faith? He's growing your faith so something wonderful can come out of His delay. The response sounds very sharp. Now, when when, when we read the Greek, the Greek New Testament uses a term for pet dogs. Pet dogs, and that kind of softens it a little. There are some scholars who would argue that there was no such nice term for dogs in the Aramaic, which was, would be the language that Jesus spoke. But as one who believes in the total inspiration and trustworthiness of Scripture, I would argue that Matthew used this Greek term to help us see that when Jesus said I don't think he said it harshly, I think it was, it was kind of a tongue-in-cheek saying. And, and he, was, he was saying it so that it might prompt something out of this woman. This, he was saying this tongue-in-cheek. Now notice the woman's response. Lord, yes, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. You see, the woman understood the inflection of Jesus' response. She, she understood this was a kind of a tongue-in-cheek answer. And so she gave a tongue-in-cheek answer herself, which showed great faith. It was as if she was saying, yes, Lord, your, your ministry at this time is primarily to the Jews. But it reaches beyond them that even some of those blessings might fall from that table. And I think she was also looking forward to the day, and she was seeing something maybe the disciples couldn't see, that your ministry will eventually reach beyond uh, the, the nation of Israel to the entire world, to people who are far away just like me. And Jesus said this to her, O woman, great is your faith. O woman, great is your faith. There were two times in the New Testament that Jesus uh, praised a, a person's faith. It is here. It is here to this woman. And there was also a Roman centurion. He wasn't even present, but Jesus praised his faith to his friends. Both of these compliments were to Gentiles and not to Jews who the Israelites thought were far from God. Jesus granted a request. He healed and delivered her daughter from that very moment. You see, there are individuals and there are groups that many times to us seem far away from God, far away from faith in Jesus. But Jesus bids us ...to go to them, just like he went to them. He bids us to go and to take the gospel to them. We heard in July about Lydia and Ben... ...sensing God's call to go to a place... ...where the gospel has not been preached. Uh, David Wilkerson sensed God calling him... ...to proclaim the love of Jesus... ...to gang members and drug addicts... ...and started Teen Challenge. I know of a couple today... ...that planting a church in Burnsville, Minnesota... And their primary outreach is to addicted people. I know of, of efforts to plant churches among the Somalis here in the United States. And the Somalis in the United States are, are usually considered the hardest ethnic group to reach in our country. They seem far away from Jesus, but God is working in their midst. And I've heard there's been some success after many years of prayer. You see, people might seem far away from Jesus, but Jesus bids us to go to them. Uh, to go to those who, who are seemingly so far away. In fact, the the truth is, many of them are nearer than those that seem close to the kingdom of God. And There's another way Jesus came to be the Savior of those who are far away, and that's this. Jesus provides... How come I just can't click at once? But anyway, anyway. I ain't went back too far now, okay. You guys have to help me back there. <laughs> Jesus provides wholeness yeah, I was clicking too much and you can't even help me anyway. Jesus provides wholeness and blessing to many whom the religious have ignored. Now Jesus left there and he went beside the Sea of Galilee. And Mark tells us that he was on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee, the region known as the Decapolis. You recognize that Deca, Decapolis, Deca? It's uh, literally the ten cities, Decapolis, the ten cities. They were ten cities east of the Sea of Galilee, Galilee, which are mainly... Boy, I'm having trouble today. Which are mainly uh, Gentile in population. Jesus had left the hostile uh, confines of Galilee where he was being opposed by the leadership who came even from Jerusalem to harass him and detest him. And now he was mainly in the territory of Gentiles. Now notice what Matthew says. He says uh, uh, he went up on a mountain and he sat down. Now you you say that, well, so what? What does that mean? Usually the posture of a teacher was a posture of sitting. Of sitting. You, a teacher didn't stand like I'm doing today. Jesus would have been sitting if he was here teaching you if it was that time. He would sit. And that's how that he would teach. It parallels something we read early in Matthew from Matthew chapter 5, 1 and 2. The beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, when he saw the crowds in Matthew 5, 1 and 2, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. You see, Jesus was there in this largely Gentile territory with almost certainly a large Gentile crowd and he was sitting so he was probably teaching them this crowd not only was he teaching them but the crowd would come and they would bring their lame their blind um their crippled their mute it and it, and it acts it, it actually uses the verse that that says they would thrust them at them. They'd almost throw them. It's not like they would throw them down, but there were so many that were there that would bring these people that they would come one after another after another and Jesus would heal those that they brought to him. And it says they were amazed. At, they wondered at, his, at his, what he was doing. And look what it says. They glorified the God of Israel. Now why does it say they glorified the God of Israel? Because they were basically a Gentile and pagan crowd. And they saw that Jesus did what he did through the one true God of Israel. And not the pagan deities that they worshipped. This was probably a huge Gentile crowd. The crowd stayed with Jesus three days. And he taught and he healed them uh, for three days. On the third day, after their supplies were gone and he would be dismissing them and sending them away. The scripture says he called his disciples to him and he said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I am unwilling to send them away hungry lest they faint on the way. Jesus had compassion on this crowd, which we learned is 4,000 men along with women and children, probably 12,000 people. Uh, When Jesus said this, his disciples said, Where are we to get enough bread to feed such a crowd in this desert place? And then Jesus asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they replied, Seven and a few small fish. Then Jesus directed the crowd to sit down. He gave thanks And had the disciples pass out the seven loaves and the few small fish to the crowd. And Jesus thus miraculously fed this multitude. Now does this sound familiar? Of course it does. We just read in chapter 14 how Jesus had fed 5,000 plus men, uh, plus women and children. Uh, And there are scholars actually that say this is a doublet. This is just the same story repeated. But you notice there are significant differences. One's crowd is 5,000 men along with women and children. The other is 4,000 men along with women and children. In the the first story, they pick up 12 baskets full. And these were small baskets full. Jewish people would uh, use to carry kosher food wherever they went. These were small baskets. In this, there were seven baskets. And these were large baskets. These, in fact, the word this word that's used here in Matthew 15 is a word which tells us when Paul escaped from a city he was lowered in one of these baskets. So it's talking about a huge uh, kind of basket. Um, another difference in the two account is the in chapter 14 the crowd was with him for one day, and here uh, in 15 they're with him for three days. Um, After feeding the 5,000 in chapter 14, John tells us they tried to make Jesus a political ruler. And here in in 15, this Gentile cried. there was not really a popular response. So if this is not a doublet, if this is not a repetition of the same event, why are the two events included in, in Matthew and Mark? Both the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000 are including both in Matthew and in Mark. Why are they included? I think the answer is not hard. It's simple. And it's so simple, I think I missed it for many years until I was actually studying this week. In Matthew 15, Jesus is providing for the Gentiles, a mainly Gentile crowd what he provided for the Jewish nation in chapter 14. Jesus teaches and drives out demons and heals the lame and crippled and mute and others. He miraculously feeds this Gentile crowd like he fed the Jewish crowd in chapter 14. Chapter 15 shows his apostles and shows us and shows the church of, of the day when Matthew wrote his gospel that Jesus is beginning to reach out to the entire world, to the Gentiles in the entire world. The gospel is not just for one group. It's not just for us four and no more. The gospel is for every tribe and nation and language and people. Chapter 15, if you read the chapter, all, everything kind of points to this. In the first few verses, Jesus kind of nullifies uh, the dietary laws of Judaism. The rest of the chapter, he delivers a Gentile, uh, a Canaanite's woman, a Gentile woman's daughter from demons. He, he heals this Gentile crowd, and then he provides uh, this Gentile crowd with the bread they need to, leave, to live on. Jesus is showing his gospel is for everyone, that he is the truly of the bread of life. For all who will believe. All who believe. Jew or everyone who is not a Jew. Can believe in Jesus and be saved. Those who are far away. And those whom the religious have ignored. Can receive wholeness and blessing from Jesus. The Gentiles whom the religious Jews have hated and ignored. Are taught, healed and fed and introduced to the bread of life. Maybe you were far away when you met Jesus. Maybe you weren't raised in a Christian home. Maybe you didn't know anything about the gospel, anything about the Lord, anything about His love. And Jesus met you where you where you were. And you, your life was changed. You know, all of us, somebody introduced someone in our family to the gospel. Uh, my dad tells the story, my dad told the story of of one of his uh, relatives who's very interested in the history of the Ray uh, family. And so she began to do genealogy in a family tree. And she went all the way back to Ireland. And in Ireland, the the last one she checked on was a guy who was hanged for being a horse thief. Now, somewhere along the way, somebody shared the gospel with the Ray's, And enabled us to begin to believe in Jesus. We may have been so far away. And you may have been so far away. And there are people who we think are so far away. But God loves them. Christ died for them. And we are to think about and go for them. You know I was kind of convicted when Lydia and Ben shared their story. How Lydia talked about as she grew up. she, She heard well you know you you yes you 're go to the world, but you 're to share the gospel with people around you, you know, and that 's true. we are to share the gospel with people around us, but the Bible tells us to go into all the world, and if we if we don 't care about people except people that are right around us, we don 't care about the world that God loves and Christ died for. We don't care about the world where many people have never even heard once the name of Jesus. Or maybe they've heard it, but only as a curse word. Then something's wrong with our faith. Because Jesus came to take the gospel to those who were far from him. And every one of us was far from him at one time. Who do you think is far away from God? Is it gang members or drug addicts? Is it these young people stealing these cars and joyriding in Madison? Or is it just some individual you know who has lived a very sinful lifestyle? It might even be a child or relative or a brother or a sister or a mom or a dad that you think are so far from God and beyond His touch. No person... No person, no groups are beyond the love of God. In fact, some of them may be closer than the nice people you and I know who are just like us. God calls us to go to the people to share the gospel measures of life and deliverance. He calls us to bring wholeness and blessing to those who we may have ignored in the past. Jesus shows himself to be the Savior of even those who seem far away. Will we desire for God to help us know how to go to people who desperately need Jesus? Father, we thank you that truly we were far from you. Father, we may have been raised in a Christian home, but many of us thought that we were better than other people. Many of us didn't see ourselves in our sin, but somehow you reached us and you showed us that, that all this sin and not come short of the glory of God. You showed us that we were far from you. But Lord, you didn't wait for us to draw near to you, you came to us, you reached out to us. You saved us, Lord God. Thank you, O God, that you are a God who loves those who are far away. Lord, help us to love those also. Help us, Lord, not to write anybody off. And not to think anyone's beyond your touch. Lord, help us to, to think about who you would have us to go to. That we might deem far away. Lord, help us to think about if, if you're calling us, even to the other side of the world, Lord, what would you have us do? Who would you have us to go to? And help us just to obey you. Lord, help us to love those that you love. And and help them to see that, Jesus, you save. You can give purpose and meaning to, And eternal life. And we can live for your glory. And not ourselves. We ask you to do this. In Jesus name. Amen.